Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Yasmin, what do you think about the law of attraction? I'm all about the law of attraction. I completely believe in it. And I'll tell you why. I actually met your brother through a practice that I did of quote unquote attracting him that I learned from Tony Robbins. I remember I was in my late 20s going on a bunch of dates with guys and I was like there's no one that I resonate with like these like they have such great qualities but no one that I felt connected to that I wanted to be with and have a relationship with and I remember Tony Robbins was saying make a list of like who you want to manifest in your life like be very specific about the qualities and I remember every time I even went on a bad date there was still, everybody has great qualities, right? So even if they don't resonate with you, so I'd come home and I'd add to my list. And Tony Robbins was like, read it every day before you go to sleep. And I think it just, it was helpful for me because it kind of helped my intentionality when it came to dating. Like every time I'd read the list, I'm like, okay, I think I was a little bit too open, but now that I really know what I want and you get that reminder every day, right? When you're reading it, it just got me a little bit more defined on who I was looking for. And I swear, so I ended up meeting, so Kaya's brother is my husband, Drew, and I actually met him at a dinner that I threw through friends. Shout out to Shiz and Amir. They're both amazing. And truly, he hit, I would say like 98% of everything on that list, which is mind blowing. And it was the first time I saw, and it might sound crazy to some people, but like the law of attraction working and like the intentionality of bringing something into your life and it really working. And he also had his own list and he was way more detailed than even me. And I was like, how did you even like put that together? But that was the first time I saw it. And I think it just gave me the hope of how do I take this part of my life and also put it into like business, right? Like even starting Bia, being intentional, thinking big, writing it down um, and quote unquote manifesting. So that was my little version of seeing it in my life. But how about you? I did not know that story. Really? I didn't know that you guys had written down. I mean, so many people do that, right? They write down the qualities. And I think that's a common characteristic of manifestation practices, I guess you call them, mm-hmm. is being specific, writing it down. I remember Michael Beckwith saying, you be specific, you write it down, and then you let it go. Mm. So like, don't yes. hold on to it too tightly. If you hold on to it too tightly and you feel like this has to happen, this has to happen, you're constantly thinking about it in a way that's like you're just gripping too tight, then for some reason the universe does not respond to that. But when you write it down, you're really intentional, you're really specific, and then you just kind of have this detachment, maybe it is. Yes. those. That's when it like the magic happens. I've done the same thing when I – met my husband. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, the crazy thing is we all have relationships. I mean, many people do, not everyone have relationships where, okay, you learn from it and you're like, that that wasn't it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was chaotic or, you know, a lot of people say toxic. I don't know about that word, but whatever it was, it was just not it. And I remember after my last relationship had ended, I thought about two very specific things and I wrote them down. I said, compassion and kindness are number one to me. And number two is somebody who my family loves because I'm very close with my family and they know me so well. And so um, 
you know, I, I manifested that person. I wasn't more specific than that, but it, it very much felt like the person that I had imagined. And also with relationships other than romantic relationships. Every time I move to a new city, I think mm. about this is the type of friend that I want. I would love somebody in my neighborhood. I would love somebody yes. who wants to work out with me. I would love somebody who has real conversations and just like kind of putting that down. And it always happens. I always meet like that one girlfriend that I'm like, oh yeah, this is the person that I wanted to manifest. So I fully believe in the power of manifestation, which is what we're going to be talking about today and so many other things. The topic of today's conversation is magnetism, abundance, true beauty, our relationship with ourselves, spirituality, and self-love. So this week, we're joined by Kimberly Snyder. She's a multiple-time New York Times bestselling author, spiritual and meditation teacher, international speaker, nutritionist, and wellness expert. She has authored six books, including Radical Beauty, which she co-authored with Deepak Chopra. In this episode, we talk about her most recent book, You Are More Than You Think You Are, Practical Enlightenment for Everyday Life. She's also the founder of Saluna, a holistic lifestyle brand that offers supplements, meditations, and courses. And she's a host of the top-rated Feel Good podcast on the Podcast One Network. She's worked with dozens of top celebrities to feel their best, including Drew Barrymore, Reese Witherspoon, Kerry Washington, and Shannon Tatum. Kimberly is so inspiring. We enjoyed this conversation so much, and we think you're going to love it too. So let's get into it. There's so many different spokes on the wellness wheel. There's nutrition, there's exercise, there's sleep. And I think people put a lot of emphasis, especially in my world, I see people putting a lot of emphasis on nutrition and exercise, but there's not as much emphasis on our spiritual health, our mental health, our relationship with ourselves. So why do you think that is? And what is the barrier between why is it easier to jump to nutrition and exercise, but kind of ignore the relationship with self and our spiritual uh, journey? It's a great question. <laughs> And I think, you no, know, this is something that the yogis have been teaching us for thousands of years. Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, the funny thing about the world is the things that seem really real aren't so real. And the mm. things that don't seem real really are real. Meaning that we tend to think of the world in terms of our five senses. So our peripheral nervous system, which is always sort of looking out at the mirror. What do we look like? What are people doing on social media? How many likes am I getting? Um, does this taste good, right? Food, we can pick it up and it's tangible. So it is important, of course, to take care of our nutrition and our bodies. Those are two of our cornerstones at Saluna, but the other two are emotional well-being and spiritual growth. And the reason is who we are, how we connect to the true self, which we could say the energy inside of us, our hearts, our intuition, um, in spiritual terms, we could say spirit individualized is where everything starts. It's where our health really starts from. It's our ability to feel really peaceful and joyful and happy. And when we start to really nurture the inside, and this has been my personal experience, the outside improves in such exponential ways and without all this efforting, right? So I'll give you a tangible example. I used to have a lot of bloat. I used to be really constipated. I had horrible acne. My, my hair wouldn't grow. It was like in this coarse little bun. And I was just scrambling around, trying every diet, trying to count calories, trying to run, running on treadmill so I could see how many calories I was burning. 
And I would lose weight for a time, but then I would just never feel good. And then the weight would come back and I felt like my whole life was counting. I was also really anxious. I had insomnia. I had no idea how to meditate. Um, I didn't really have any sort of spiritual practices. I was raised Catholic, but then as I went to college, I just sort of was disconnected from everything. And then I went backpacking for a couple of years and then I went to India. And then I started to learn about this idea of connecting inside. And of course, it's a long journey. You know, I won't go into all the details, but when I started to do that and connect in, that's when my body changed. That's when my digestion really changed mm. my skin. That's where I started to feel stable inside. So what happens is if we're ups and down, you know, up and down in our self-worth, our confidence is based on all these things that are always changing. Our hormones go bananas, right? There's more inflammation in our body. Our parasympathetic and uh, sympathetic nervous system is out of whack. So there's a very real tangible benefit to meditation, to journaling, to going outside and taking a walk in nature. All these stillness practices have a profound effect on the physical body as well. So that's why it's so important when it comes to wellness. You said there's so many spokes. It's not one thing. It's really honoring what I call the four cornerstones, food, body, emotional well-being, and spiritual growth, doing practices in each of them every day. It could be really simple, drinking hot water with lemon, taking your SPO probiotics, taking a couple minutes to meditate. But when you think wider, when you honor the whole self, you always get better results. Yeah, I, I want to follow up with that because kind of now you're almost on the other side, right? At, wellness is a constant journey, but you're like looking back on yes. everything that you did. Now imagine that there's somebody who is on the start of where you were, they're experiencing the bloating, they're experiencing the anxiety, they're, you know, counting calories, they feel like they're doing everything right. To hear your journey, maybe for some people it would feel like, gosh, do I need to go backpacking? Do I need to go find myself? Do I need to like meditate for hours? It might feel a little bit daunting to kind of go through something like that to get to the other side. But is there a way to apply what you learn in our day to day so it doesn't feel so overwhelming? Oh, yes. It's actually the opposite of overwhelm. I think when we fixate on the surface, that's when we feel like crap. That's when we're in comparison mentality. That's when we never feel enough. That's when we're constantly trying to get information and buy new products and feel like we're going nowhere. That's the hamster wheel, right? So it's actually really simple to go wider. Um, I want to use an example. You know, before I had kids, we were talking about her kids earlier. My career was really focused on client work. So I worked with all these big actors and I was traveling around the world with them and living with them for months at a time while they were shooting films. And this is really where my four cornerstones came from. One actor in particular um, had been, I was his 15th wellness nutritionist expert working with him. And he was trying to lose weight for a film role and he could never lose the weight. And what I realized very quickly was that food was about 15% of my work with clients. It was this other work, which seems really simple, but it's, it's all it's about stress management and really having some tools to deal with the emotional chaos, which we'll talk about in a moment and meditating. And then he lost 80 pounds and he kept it up, right? So what I'm saying isn't meant to be overwhelming. What it's saying is when we kind of go really narrow, it's very constrictive and it's very stressful. If we treat ourselves with respect and honor because we are these whole beings, there is a certain easefulness that comes. So 
what we can do is, for instance, morning practice, you just want to do something that touches each of those four cornerstones. So as I mentioned, you could drink hot water with lemon, which is really great for your liver. It's got lots of vitamin C, great enzymes. You can um, take your SBO probiotics, which is great for whole body health. We have the amazing Saluna ones. I always say we need to align to nature. So soil-based organisms are how our ancestors used to take in probiotics that actually got through your stomach acid. It's like eating dirt, essentially really healthy soil. And then I do recommend some guided, some meditation in the morning, just so you're connected inward. And then you can journal for a few moments or, you know, reach out to community or, you know, whatever it is through a simple text or just to feel that we're connected to the whole. All of this can be done in less than 10 or 15 minutes, right? So what I'm saying is it's not going to take more time. It's saying let's us expand our perspective so that we don't put so much energy into food and body. Because like you were saying, the people that I meet that are the most obsessed, right? The clients, the the actors that everybody's looking at that, you know, millions and millions of people are watching their films, everyday people like you and me, we all have the same issues, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Every time when it's a focus, hyper focus on food and body, it's because we're not nurturing the emotional and spiritual part of ourselves. So instead of going deeper and saying, oh my gosh, maybe I'm eating, I'm not getting enough riboflavin or I need to get this other, um, you know, micronutrient or I need to try this, you know, keto, whatever, intermittent fasting, like it goes deeper and deeper. I need to actually put some energy over here. Not all your energy, but I need to understand when I'm stressed. I need to do um, some of these simple breathwork practices. Some of them I share in my new book, You Are More Than You Think You Are, right? Very simple, but this resets and everything comes from the inside out, our abundance, our beauty, our energy, our health. So if we're just focused on the surface, we're focusing on trying to change something that's actually occurred, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, the skin cycle is every you know 24 to 28 days. So if we're just focusing on the outside, we'll get some results. We may try to repair some some of the skin damage, but we want to work on nurturing the cells that are coming out, right? And it's the same thing with our energy, same thing with the health. We need to work with the formless part of us as well as the form. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening. And now let's get back to today's episode. And you know, you talk about this, you've mentioned it a little bit throughout our interview so far, but you know, the difference between surface confidence is what you talk about in your book versus true confidence. I'd love for you to maybe talk about the difference between that because that's because I think so many of us 
it's so common to get stuck in the day-to-day of what we think we should be doing, the career we should be having, where our business should be. And, you know, that is always going to be a moving target. Like you mentioned, I, I'm living this all the time. And it's very evident that that's how life is just always going to work. So I'd love to just maybe get your thoughts around this concept of the surface level confidence and like really harnessing true confidence in ourselves. Yes, I think the simplest way to think of it is surface confidence is in the head, right? It's in the ego. It's in all the thoughts that are always going constantly and often tearing us down in the self-doubt. So it's a very heady idea. And if we're trying to get confident with thoughts, it's going, it's a never ending energy field, right? It's like, I could be skinnier. My hair could look better. Maybe I need better makeup. (laughs) Maybe I should have more followers. Maybe I should be having more kids. Maybe I should be doing more in my career. It's thoughts. And so we're never going to find confidence in a sustainable, really deeply nourishing way from the head. So that's the first thing is recognizing that, of course, we want to look pretty and we want to, you know, have a cute outfit if we go out for dinner. There's nothing wrong with that. But our self-worth should never be tied to the head and the mind and the thoughts because that's always shifting and changing, right? My co-author a couple books ago, Deepak Chopra, said happiness should never be a moving target right? So the thoughts are always moving. What's good enough, better than, less than, it's here. So the only way to really establish true confidence is down in your heart, we could say, which is a tangible place to think of the true self. So the true self is this part of us that's watching the thoughts. It's the part of us, this inner guidance. You know, Yogananda called it the infallible voice of the inner counsel. You can think of it as your intuition. You can think of it sometimes as just the voice of your heart, the heart guidance. This is the place that's steady, right? So this is the place where we start to know who we are. We're all unique. We're all different. We don't really have to compare. We don't really have to compete when you think of it in this way. It's experiential, right? When we drop down, when we just take a deep breath and we, I literally think of it as dropping out of my head into my heart. It's again, some of the tools and practices, and I'm a big journaler to really understand. We need to understand who's speaking, the heart or the head, the true self or the ego. So when we learn to connect here, and it does build over time, right? Just little by little, we start to understand, okay, here, this is so steady. When we get into this place, we feel confident because we are, or in the mantra form of the practical enlightenment meditations I teach, I am. I am. I, it's not, oh, I'm me because I look a certain way because that's flimsy and will always change over time. Or I'm me because I have the most of this, or I live in this house, or I have this money in my bank account, right? All these things are shifting and changing. It's, it's a very rocky place to try to cling to. But inside, what the yogis have always taught us is there is a steadiness. It's like when you go down in the ocean, have you guys been scuba diving? No. no, okay. no. <laughs> so so if you, when you scuba dive, it's like you get in. I get seasick sometimes. So I'm like, oh my God, I don't like this. It's very rocky. Then you push the little button, you deflate your vest, and then you go down. Wow. And then it's like this magical universe where the fish are going and the sea and everything. It's still, right? So if we stay on this surface, I'm going to be honest with you, and you guys know this, it sucks. It doesn't feel good. There's a lot of suffering. There's dings to your confidence all day long. I think I'm really good. Someone's always going to be better, better in physical terms, whether it's with your body or your career or whatever. But underneath, 
there is this incredibly peaceful place. And I know we can get there because I was the most anxious, the biggest perfectionist, obsessed with my grades, 98 on a test was never enough, beating myself up, having eating disorders, never really feeling peaceful or happy. So I know if I can find this place, everybody can too, little by little. We just start to, again, put some attention into connecting with it. Like anything, it takes practice. Like anything, we don't know it unless we experience it, right? So when we get to this place, um, we don't care so much about what's happening in this um, unattached way. It doesn't mean we don't try, but what it means is our self-worth and our confidence, like you were saying, Yasmin, isn't going up and down. There's a steadiness and it's so magnetic. Mm -hmm. There's a chapter in the book called You Are Magnetic. And I talk about how I came to write a book with Deepak Chopra in the first place and I've been able to create some of the things that you know I really wanted to create. And it doesn't come from this egoic pushing and pulling and competing and trying to tear people down or tear ourselves down. It comes from connecting to this powerful energy hmm. because we feel energy and we won't go down the rabbit hole of quantum physics, but it really is this vibration, this emanation that we can feel you know, when you walk into a room and you can feel if someone's in a bad mood and you can feel if someone's like a beacon of light, yeah. the more you connect to the confidence inside of you, it's actually really attractive and magnetic and it just feels a lot more peaceful as well. Absolutely. And what a beautiful, everything you said was so amazing, by the way, but what a beautiful perspective to bring, especially when you're raising children, because like you mentioned, Kimberly, you were a perfectionist, you were obsessed with grades and everything. And, you know, the way that I grew up, my parents were really good about not attaching my worth to my looks or my grades or things like that. But it was very prevalent just in society to feel that, especially as a woman, my worthiness comes from the way that I look or my worthiness comes from, you know, being a good girl or being polite or being kind when I don't need to be. But I just love everything you're saying, because now that I have a daughter, I want to bring that perspective to her, that her worthiness is not tied to external things. And even if, you know, she decides to take one path, it doesn't mean that I'm going to love her less, but it feels so much that society is as much as you want to raise your kids that way, they still have to deal with everything that society puts on them. And so I, I, I just want to, it's not a question. It's more just so like, it's such a beautiful thing in this day and age, because I, I don't think I necessarily grew up feeling that way. Oh yeah. I mean, I certainly didn't feel that way. And I think the most powerful practice that we can do as parents and also as friends is the gift of presence. Mm. And what I mean by that is to really be with your daughter, to really be with each other. Right now I'm fully with you guys. And so it's this experience of, of being and saying, I'm, you know, the worth comes because we're being together and you're worthy just because you're you. If we, and you know, parents are all, we're all doing our best. And so sometimes though, um, you know, un, you know, not purposely per se, but a parent will give attention or compliments or validation to that child. Look at how well you did on the test and look at how well you did in the soccer game. And so somehow in the immature brain of the child, they may correlate, oh, I get worth and attention when I perform, mm -hmm. right? And so what we just want to be aware of is how good it feels to be seen mm -hmm. just for being ourselves. 
And so it's like, it's simple, but it's the most powerful thing just to really be together while you're coloring a picture or playing in the sand or doing something and just being really, there's so much nurture, nourishing from being. And that's when it goes back to our cornerstones with being with ourselves. If we can give ourselves some time of stillness, turn off your phone, you know, it can be the guide, guided meditation. It could just be journaling. It could be, um, you know, sitting out in the trees in nature for a little bit of time. But the gift of being means we start to get to know each other, or ourselves. And when we start to know ourselves, then we can really start to love ourselves. Another concept I think is really um, tough today to really grasp or, or, you know, grasp is this concept of self-love. Mm. Self-love could be like, oh, I love myself enough that I'm going to get my nails done, or I love myself enough that, you know, wh whatever it is, I'm going to give myself this treat. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but again, it's sort of just hitting some of the more physical parts of us. To me, self-love only comes when we nurture ourselves mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. When we show up for ourselves, we don't abandon ourselves. We can hold space for ourselves when we're having big feelings. We can reflect, you know, why does this trigger me? Why does it bother me? There's a lot of journaling in my new book because I think introspection, and Yogananda said this as well, the great yogi that brought yoga to the West. It's the way that we can start to grow, right? And so self-love comes from this inner nurturing. And from that, you know, it's been my personal experience, like everything tends to function better from a, you know, an organ standpoint down to the cellular level. There's better, I've experienced way better digestion, more energy, less fatigue, um, less inflammation. Everything just works better when we work. It's like this unlocking from the inside out. You know, one thing you mentioned is, and I would, I want this for so many women who, is, who are listening today is just to show, show up as their best selves and really be comfortable being seen. Because like you said, like when you, when your truest self come, comes out, you're magnetic, right? People want to be around you energetically. It feels nice. You know, maybe different business opportunities might come. Like there's just so much opportunity, but I feel like some women are still kind of sitting back in their light. And I feel like they're just so amazing. And I would love to just help them show their light and feel comfortable in themselves. So do you have any advice for someone who might not be used to being in their light? Um, kind of like really honor that. So I think the way um, to go into that is really experiential, right? When I'm talking, when you're saying be the light, you have to feel your own light. So that's, again, I keep going back to this essential practice of stillness and meditation or being in nature or something that is beyond egoic thought. Remember we talked about the block of the head. So I think a lot of uh, women hang back because of numbers and adjectives. So the numbers are, how much do I weigh? How many followers do I have? How big is my business? What are my sales, right? And then the adjectives are, I'm such and such, I'm trying to be a boss lady, or I'm trying to be pretty, or I'm trying to be this influencer. It's all these things. And it's like layers on top of ourselves that actually dull the light trying to be someone, even the idea of trying. We're never powerful when we're trying versus this naturalness of just being ourselves, right? So the more we're just ourselves and we're not trying to be anybody, those are the people that actually stand out the most. Those are the people that are the most magnetic people in the world. Those are the people that actually attract the most opportunities. So the most, you know, the best piece of advice I would say to anyone that's like, I don't really know, I don't feel my light is to just be it. 
Decide what kind of person you want to be, the values you want to give off into the world, the values, not the adjectives, but I want to be loving. I want to be compassionate, right? I want to be light. And then feel that in your meditations or your moments of stillness. And then think of that. There's um, some abundance and magnetic practices I share in the book. Um, invoke those um those energies inside of your heart before you go to a meeting or before you go to a dinner, before you go to a conference, be what you want to be and what you want to put out into the world mm. and forget about the numbers and the adjectives and the roles and the job titles. And the, I'm founder of this and the, forget it, just be the light. Mm. And that's, that's the most powerful thing any of us can really do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I, I mean, your words are just really hitting me right now. And, um, I want to talk a little bit about in your book, you talk about how Yogananda's work meant so much to you and inspired you in so many ways. So if there's anybody who's listening to this, who doesn't know who that is, or the work that he brought into this world, or your involvement with yoga and what yoga means to you, can you give us a, a synopsis? Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yogananda was the one who brought yoga to the West and yoga in the real, like the, the true authentic sense of yoga, uh, Raja yoga, the King yoga, which he distilled down into something called Kriya yoga, which is really about, we talked about the peripheral nervous system of being in the delusion, so to speak of the world and Kriya yoga and Real yoga is really about coming into your spine. It's about coming into your central mm. nervous system, your spine and your brain, essentially, which is where our energy is concentrated. So what Yogananda showed is, uh, you know, a few incredibly life-changing things. Number one, he showed this oneness, this unity of all things, including, you know, the essence of all true religions and this oneness between all of us. This we call this the underlying energy matrix of all things. So we can think of it as the universe, we can think of it as spirit or divine intelligence or whatever we want to think of. So at the time when I discovered Yogananda in India, like I mentioned, I was raised Catholic, but then I didn't really have a deep connection to really anything. And I was, you know, just sort of like a leaf blowing in the wind. I was anxious. I had insomnia. I was partying a lot. I was drinking heavily. I just didn't really have much of a direction. And when I read this for the first time, the idea that, oh, like there's a true self, there's this energy inside of me and I'm connected to everyone else. And there's many different pathways up this mountain to spirit or, you know, universal consciousness, God, whatever word you want to say. It was literally like a fire got lit and it went up my wow. spine. You know, some might say it was like a kind of a spontaneous Kundalini awakening or whatever you want to say. And it's not always that dramatic. It can be very subtle and it builds over time. But it's just these moments of epiphany where we realize like deep truth. So he came here to America in 1920, and he was the first person to really talk about yoga. So he went all the way to the top. He met with the president of the United States at the time, Calvin Coolidge. And even to the modern day, you know, Steve Jobs, read Autobiography of a Yogi every year. That was the only book on his iPad when he passed away. He handed out Yogananda's book to 500 people at his funeral because Yogananda's principles and the ones that I distilled down in the book are about tapping into your creative power, manifesting what you want, creating this abundance and this vitality on the inside out. So it just profoundly shaped my life. And when I started practicing Kriya Yoga, 
meditation yoga, like really focusing on your spine. And I share preliminary practices in the book and my practices are all, um, my practical enlightenment meditations are all inspired by Yogananda's work. But if you want to go deeper, he teaches lessons, part of his self-realization fellowship. But I can say from my experience, when I started doing this type of yoga, it's when I started writing books. It's when I started my website, which, you know, continues to this day. It was a free blog. And by the way, I didn't have any sort of, you know, your question, Yasmin, I didn't have any sort of expectation or plan. I was just being, you know, I, I was just being, I wanted to share. So I had this free website and I was going back to nutrition school and I was teaching yoga asanas. I always make that distinction. The pose is what people think is yoga. It's just a little part of yoga, but it's a part. It can keep our bodies healthy for sure. So I was teaching yoga asanas and I would just share with my yoga students, hey, I'm, um, you know, I've got a website if you guys want to check it out. And it was just me sharing about my travel. I was I went to over 50 countries over, th you know, three years by myself. I was sharing about my perspective of food as energy and going beyond numbers. And it just grew organically. And then my first celebrity found me, who was Uma Thurman. And then I got on a film set. And then suddenly I was working with the biggest celebrities in the world, like Reese Witherspoon, with no plan. And by the way, I don't have a TV. And I don't watch movies <laughs> to this day. And then I was on Good Morning America. And then I was getting book deals. And it really, I honestly tell you guys, it just came from um, this centeredness that all of us can access. We're all unique. We all have different unique gifts and talents and expressions that we can put into the world back to this idea that we really don't have to compete, but it is up to us to tap into our own talent. So the worst thing I think we can do is try to emulate what someone else is doing or copy someone else's business plan or what they did in their business. Exactly. We can be inspired. It can spark ideas, but each of us is going to do it our own way. Right. So it has to, we have to tap in. And so the only way we tap in is if we go down into that true self, which means we turn off always looking outward, the peripheral, and we go into our central nervous system. So much. I, I love hearing that story. And it's just amazing to see how your career has just continues to flourish with, because it's something that's just so true and authentic to you. I have a question about social media, right? Like you do such a great job in your life, right? You said you don't watch TV. You have a pretty good boundary around your you know, what's off, what's true to you and how you feel. So how do you manage social media, right? All of our businesses are on social media. So it's not something that we can blatantly ignore, but what are the boundaries you set for yourself? Or if there's anyone who's listening, that's like, you know what, Kimberly, like I, it's tough for me to kind of go within myself. I'm always kind of flipping on social media. Like yeah. what do you, what do you have to say to them? So a couple of things about social media. I think that it's important that we're not putting out content because we feel that we need to. Of course, it's important for businesses and their schedules, but I would encourage everyone to create content when they feel really inspired to share something, right? And then you can batch it. Like I went on the days when I were like, oh, this is, you know, there's so much I want to share today. You know, the days you feel like being on camera, there's yeah. days I really feel like writing. And so that's when I try to share from my heart. Um, and then I think it's really important that we do batch the times not just when we're producing the content, but when we are on there, because otherwise, like we were saying, it's all this energy is flowing continuously mm. out and we don't give ourselves that time to really connect inside to our own intuition and our own heart, right? And our best stuff and what we can then put out into the world and share and, and support the world in our ways. So for some people, it's like setting alarms 
And for some people, it's like, you know, there's these little tricks like take your Instagram and put it to where you have to swipe it. Um, it's like a muscle, though. It's like we build this habit of always going, um, but it doesn't, you know, it's not good for us. And so I'll, I'll share with you what I had to do, um, not just social media, but I've taken a huge um, break from regular media because I'm energetically sensitive. I think everybody has a different sensitivity. I would notice something on the news, like it could be about, you know, just something terrible happening or whatever. And it would bring me down and I couldn't even like speak or write. And I'm like, I'm not a, you know, a politician. I'm not a statesman. I'm not a diplomat. So I don't need to know all these details. You know, something big's going on. I know about it. And I read all the health and wellness news and my husband will tell me stuff. Mm -hmm. But I used to, as a habit, you know, if you have an iPhone, you swipe and there's all the Apple news. Mm -hmm. So I actually turned it off. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most powerful things I ever did because so much more my energy was able to be concentrated and contained for good. Mm -hmm. So maybe we don't need alerts for social media. Maybe we just start to develop stronger habits about when we check and when we don't check. And so for me, I stick to that and I'll look at comments, but I'm not like scrolling all day, which is, you know, what other people are doing. So we need to really balance that and figure out what's the best times for us to be on. I also don't think it's necessarily the best time to go on first thing in the morning before we've, you know, at least meditated, at least gotten into our own bodies. I know people that are on Instagram before they're even out of bed, you know, so it's like before we even get grounded, our heads are not there within our own lives, mm-hmm. right? So it's like establish yourself, take your probiotics, drink your hot water with lemon, the morning routine I mentioned in the beginning, do that first. Get into your own true self connection before you go out. Yes. Yeah. I'm all about that. Even though I am guilty of jumping onto my phone before I get out of That's bed. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to draw boundaries with my friends and my husband of like, I can't watch scary movies. I can't oh, no. watch movies yeah. with, you know, if there's a lot of emotional turmoil or like a lot of drama, like it affects me. And so I just somebody who went to film school who loved movies, I just can't do it anymore because I know that I'm going to not get great sleep. I know that I'm going to be thinking about it. Even if it's fiction, I'm going to be thinking about it and feeling like I'm taking on this person's story. So those types of boundaries are really, really important. So so remember to your point, love, that nourishment takes place on all energetic levels. So what we're eating is a form of nourishment that becomes assimilated into our body through our GI tract. It gets pulled into our bloodstream. It becomes part of us, what we are eating. But so is the relationships we keep. So are the people around us. If you guys heard, you know, the five people you spend the most time with, you really absorb a lot of their energy. And media and social media is a form of nourishment we're taking in. So I also highly recommend muting or unfollowing things that don't feel really good to you and editing the space. Thank goodness my husband and I both you know, he'll watch stuff on his phone or he has a, you know, in the guest house is his office. He has a projector if he wants to watch like a fight or something, but we don't have, we both don't want TV. We don't want the noise, right? So it's just like creating the healthy boundaries for all forms of sensory input. It's all coming in. So we just have to be mindful of that and really um, say, you know what, just because like my roommates and my you know, my parent, everybody's watching the news all day, or they're doing this all day, or they're eating this all day doesn't mean I have to, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I want to talk about 
you were talking, you were mentioning manifestation. So I want to talk about this idea of the law of attraction, manifestation, magnetism. We were having a conversation the other day, uh, my brother Yasmin and I about there's two types of people who get into manifestation. There are the people who feel like, okay, all I have to do is just kind of whatever was written in the law of attraction, just think about it, think about it, think about it, and will come to me. And then there are the people who spend the time really thinking about what they want, meditating on it, and then taking action. Um, so I want to kind of distinguish between those two things and how you view manifestation in your life. Thank you, love. I think this is a great question. I think manifestation gets tossed around a lot. And I think it's a very interesting, intriguing idea because we all want to create the lives that we want. So I think there's two types of manifestation as well, but I think of them a little bit differently. Um, there's a type of manifestation that says, this is what I want. These are the goals that I want. And I'm just going to keep visualizing what I want. And I'm going to, you know, create it by always thinking I'm going to attract it in. And to be honest, that's where I started as well. And I think that's what a lot of, that's where a lot of people, you know, that's like the, the, the first part of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then as we go further along, you know, like the work of Yogananda that's talking about the oneness, it's talking about the interconnectivity. What we realize is if we're just focusing on what I want, that's very limiting. That's the ego again, right? It's just me, 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 me. And it's not how I fit into the whole. So the second part of manifesting is saying, you know, in the Bible where they say, um, I'm going to say this in biblical terms, you know, thy will be done, right? Or we can say, what is the best for the whole? So then when you start to manifest, you think, how can I be of service? How can my goals fit into helping others? Or how can my goals really support the whole? Right. And that's what I talk about in the, um, in the abundance chapter of the new book and you are a creator. So when you do that, when you're not just thinking about me, 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 and by the way, the goals could be the same, but sometimes they shift, right? Instead of a goal of, you know, for me in the beginning, it was like, I really want to be a New York Times bestseller. Mm -hmm. And I became one and that was great, but it was like, who cares? Ultimately, it's just a thing on your, you know, on your bio. And then it started to shift to, how can I inspire people really with my books? Like that was really the focus. It was the focus in the beginning too, but then it was just like the focus. And then we think about the Tao, Jai, the Tao Te Ching, right? Which is one of my favorite texts, the way, not just our way, but the way. So when we start to manifest with the whole in mind and understanding that we're part of this bigger picture, that's when the magic turns on. I think that's when, we're, you know, again, back to we're not trying to be somebody, we're not trying to fill a role, we're just trying to be of service. And then incredible energy can flow through you. That's when you turn on your true power. That's when the love comes in. That's where the synchronicities happen. That's where, you know, Deepak uses this term synchro destiny. This mm -hmm. is when, you know, that was my goal. And then I ended up, boom, running into Deepak himself on the street. And just said, Deepak, you just reviewed my last book, blah, 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 blah. And then we sat down at coffee for two hours and decided to write a book together, right? Yeah. This happens because these incredible, the linear mind can't understand it, right? This is the magic of true manifesting because we are here to serve the whole. Mm -hmm. So anyone trying to create goals, I encourage you to write down your goals and look at them and see if perhaps they need to be adjusted with the whole in mind, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And maybe they don't, maybe they're already there, but maybe some of them could expand out. And then that's where the real power comes in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's amazing how so many of these um, texts, especially religious texts, are essentially all saying the same thing. Even in the Bhagavad it's the same. How can I be of service to others? How can I consider the whole versus myself? And when we, what is it that um, Gandhi said? We find ourselves in service. We, I forget what it is, but essentially he says, we find ourselves in service to others. So um, I love that. I think Yes, love. And thank you for bringing that up. There's a quality I want to mention that is also a differentiator between those two types of manifesting. And it's spoken about in the Tao. Eckhart Tolle talks about it. It's talked about in the Gita. So in Sanskrit, you would say Hri, which is gentleness, right? And in the Tao, they talk about yielding. Water is yielding. So when we are, you know, doing our best in the moment for the whole, we aren't so fixed and rigid, like, oh, okay, maybe the timeline shift a little bit, maybe it didn't happen exactly as I wanted to. But it's okay, because we understand with humility, the humility of the heart, not the ego that we don't know everything, we don't know the big picture. But the other kind of manifesting, which is me, 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 it starts to get really rigid, doesn't it? Like, really, like, I'm gonna keep going and pushing my way. Um, and so we need to be really careful because then control can start to come in this rigidity and this hardness, this harshness. And so, um, ultimately this yielding is a, is really in gentleness and softness is the quality of the heart is the quality of love. And it really is the quality of true power. We think about how much Gandhi was able to accomplish in his lifetime through love in shifting what happened in India, whereas there were centuries of wars that were happening between, you know, northern ireland and you know for instance right so this this gentleness which sometimes in our society we think is not as strong is actually how we're able to manifest more right because it means we're going with the flow of life the way not just ego's way (laughs) gosh that's so beautiful and i know can i we started a business and our biggest mission was we want to support women using the power of food and their hormones we have one product, but it, if it doesn't work, that's okay. And we were totally fine with pivoting because we knew our overarching mission was what can we create in this world that we know can support women, whether it's through education, product, and to your point, like things have just kind of grew in a more a very beautiful and organic way. And I just love that. And I just wanted to give that example because it's true. Like if you're able to zoom out really truly, like there are and actually I'm going on a tangent, but Kimberly, there are people that are out there who say they want to be of service, but it's not core to who they are. Like it's not energetic, right? Like truly who they are. That doesn't bring the biggest abundance in your life, right? Like if you just kind of say it, but you don't truly mean it like to your core, I don't know if you still have that magnetism and that abundance, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Of course not. Of course you don't. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things that sound well and sound good, right? It's like, and we feel it. We can feel when someone is in their heart. It means someone is embodied. Someone is it. They're living it. They are the love. They are the compassion. Mm -hmm. They are the service. And you can tell, right? And so we live in a world where sometimes people, you know, figure out little tricks like in my um, world, there's a lot of people that buy their own books, you know, to try to get that title, New York Times bestseller. But underneath that, you know, that you did something fraudulent, right? You know, um, so we can't trick energy, right? Everything is this 
energy of vibration and you can tell when someone really is coming from their heart and so we say to ourselves at the end of the day what is real success what really matters right and to me what matters what real success is inner peace living our values being of loving service right it's not about the numbers at the end of the day it's not about the followers it's not about all the stuff you can check off because you can get all those things and feel so empty on the inside you haven't really grown so back to like the whole conversation the whole centralness is focusing on the peripheral out here is yeah. very surface it's like 0.001 percent but if we nurture the inside and then we start to live our external world reflects the inside nurturing and the inside values then we our lives are a success and we don't have to push we don't have to you know and also yasmin we don't have to care about what other people are doing as it used to bother me when I used to say, oh, this, this is so inauthentic. Like, can't you guys see this person is just making it out? She's just saying it. And it used to bother me, right? There was still some judginess. But what happens is the more, the deeper we go, the, the more we realize that everybody is doing their best, like mm -hmm. where they are in that moment. And, it, you know, we just can't, um, there's another uh, part of the Gita that talks about the 26 soul qualities. And one of them is non-condemnation right? I forget how you say it in Sanskrit, meaning we don't condemn. We just sort of see, we can see when someone's being authentic, but we love them anyway. Now we can love them from afar. Like Jesus would say, we don't have to be best friends with everybody, but we understand that that's coming from, you know, some sort of limitation and we've all been there too, mm -hmm. right? So all we can do is focus on being in our hearts and being our true self and letting our gifts come forward. And if we notice other people aren't as authentic, it's okay, but we don't want to fixate on it. We want to keep bringing it back to ourselves because that's their journey too. I'm working on that for sure. It's I'm definitely not perfect when it comes to that, but there is so much freedom when we stop worrying about what other people are doing and we stop worrying about 100%. What Yes. It's like this weight just lifted off of your shoulders. It's it's a very profound feeling. It's profound when you realize that we don't have to care so much about other people because we live in a world sometimes that thinks, oh, we have to keep up. We have to look at all this stuff on our feet and do all this stuff. Yeah. You don't. You don't have to care so much. You don't have to do what other people are doing. You know, just be you know people use this term like stay in your own lane i like to say just stay stay in your own heart you know mm. everything will unfold as it's meant to and your peace will grow that's really what we're in control of yeah. you know being a kind person you know just exuding kindness that's what we can really be proud of so the good news the empowering news is that something that we are in control of we're not in control of algorithms and you know the economy and like all this other stuff that's happening but we can control showing up and, and, and being our best, you know, being our best, not trying to be a role. <laughs> yes. Yes. This was uh, such an amazing conversation, Kimberly. It's definitely what I needed to hear today. And I think so many people are going to love hearing this. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm so happy that we are connected. And, you know, as I'm sitting here, you know, looking at your beautiful faces, I can really feel, can you feel this, this presence? I can feel mm. like we're all in our hearts and you both have so much light and your heart centered people. Mm. And it's just amazing to connect. So thank you so much. I'm so grateful.
Thank you. Thank we you. feel the same way and we're so grateful for you. I know. Thank you, Kimberly. We're going to share all your amazing work with our audience in the show notes. So we're excited for them to learn more about you too, but you're amazing. And thank you again. Thank you so much.